Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's March 20th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes. President Donald Trump shakes up his legal team. Congress prepares to vote on a $1.2 trillion omnibus spending plan that nobody's seen. Because who really needs to see what's in it until we pass it, right? And Facebook faces lots of questions about all that data that somehow became part of the presidential campaign. Now, we could talk about all of that, but instead, let's talk about television. Boy, today we are joined by two special guests, uh, Sonny Bunch, who is the author of this week's cover story on Overload on Television, and Adam Kuyper from The Weekly Standard. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Hi, Charlie. Hi. Well, let's just talk about uh, this. I want to start with uh, with your piece, Sonny. This is this is a this is a deep dive into the dilemma that we all face. Uh, I don't know how many people have, you know, had this conversation over the last several years. How do you keep up with the incredible overload of choices on television, especially when a lot of them seem a lot better than the movies? And you have some extraordinary statistics in this. So, first of all, let's just talk about this. Uh, your your piece really ask the question, um, will any of these shows endure, right? I mean, is that, is sure. that, is that your main uh, sure. t- take well, on this? Is I, that if, if we were trying to draw up a canon of the shows that we absolutely positively had to watch, what would be on that list? Right, right. Well, I mean, I think something something will certainly endure, right? Like, it is it, television is an art form. Art endures in some 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 way or another. The question is what endures and why. Uh, and I, you know, you know, we talked about. You mentioned the the statistics. It really is crazy just how much more TV there is now. Uh, we 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 have the same number of hours in the day, and yet there are. I think the number of shows has increased by one hundred and twenty percent, something like that, uh, over the last fifteen years. So I, you know, and and it is not just the the quantity of shows that has increased. It's also the quality. You, you have a higher uh, percentage of shows that are considered to be prestige shows, prestige TV, they call it. Um, and, uh, you know, trying to figure out what exactly is worth watching in this giant uh, uh, pile of TV shows is, is kind of hard. And I, I you know, my, my, my main concern is that a lot of good stuff is going to get lost in the shuffle. I mean, I, for for one, really liked The Leftovers, which was an HBO show. It was watched by very few people. Never, um, never saw it, no. Never saw it, right. It. See, uh, you're no. not alone. You are one. You are part yeah. of the 99%, Charlie. Trust me on this. <laughs> it is, it, this is, it is, it's a show that was watched by very few people, but it was very, it was very interesting, kind of an, I, a, a look at how society handles a traumatic event, uh, and it is, you know, viewed by about a million people a week when it was on. So I, like, this is not a show that is going to be watched by a lot of people. Um, it, part of the problem here, it, the 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 things I focus on on the show are the changing business models of uh, uh, of of how TV works. Right, we have gone from a world in which you had you know three broadcast networks, uh, you know one or two basic cable networks, and one or two pay cable networks that were putting out TV on a regular basis, to a world in which Basically, every basic cable network is putting out some sort of uh, uh, fictionalized drama at this point, uh, and and all of the pay cable networks to make you kind of you know you need to put down twenty bucks a month for HBO and fifteen bucks a month for Showtime and ten bucks a month for Stars or whatever the prices are. I don't actually pay for these things. You know, I'm 
kind of a big deal in the critical world. <laughs> I guess. No, but uh, but but the uh, but uh, but uh, but 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 the point is, you know, you've you've got all these different services, and then you've got the streaming. You've got Netflix and Amazon, of course, uh, and then also Hulu, and you have all of these things that are kind of combining to just flood the airwaves with so much content that the 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 monoculture has broken down. Uh, there is nothing that everyone watches anymore. The most popular shows are watched by about five percent of the population, uh, and the way that these shows are distributed has kind of made it almost impossible to keep up with them and have conversations about them with your with your friends and family in real time. The the, the big break for me in the last five years has been the uh, rise of Netflix and the the idea mm-hmm. that you put out thirteen hours of TV at once and just they say go. You know, and it, it that's a that's a how are you supposed to have a conversation with somebody about what you watched on TV last night if everybody is trying to catch up on three hundred hours of TV that has been yeah, distributed? That, and, and, by that's, and that's the and that's the problem. In fact, I was in a, a long car ride uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we were you know going back and forth which series have we watched. But of course, nobody watches in real time anymore. I can't remember the last time I, I watched in real time. You know, before we get too too far, I just want to go back to the the, the numbers that you cite in this, just to get to put this in some perspective. Uh, you know, you cite this uh, speech from the CEO of FX. 2017 saw 487 scripted series uh, series that aired on networks, cable, pay, pay cable, and streaming services, up from 455 the year earlier, which was up from 422 in 2015. Only 153 of the 217 uh, the 2017 series aired on network television. 175 were on basic cable. So basically, the total series output on television since 2002 has grown by 168%. By way of comparison, the American population is up only about 13%. And the number of hours in the day is completely static. We need so, to work you know, on this, that. This, yeah, is, the, this that. is the dilemma. You know, and you know, you, you, you're made to feel guilty. I, I haven't caught up on Black Mirror yet. You know, I, I, I haven't even begun The Punisher. Of course... You know, I'm waiting on Game of Thrones, uh, watched Breaking Bad, uh, Better Call Saul. But it does feel like I'm on a treadmill. And I will tell you one of the – and, you know, Adam, you know, feel free to jump in here. One of the things that, that I feel the most guilty about is I realize how much of my time that I used to spend reading books, I now spend binging on television. And, and in fact, last night I, w- I went to bed and I thought, okay, you know what I really want to do? I really want to read Sneaky Pete. But maybe I ought to read a book at least once this week. I ought to read a book as opposed to, you know, episode three of season two of Sneaky Pete. And I'm guessing I'm not alone in that dilemma. No, I mean, how people choose to watch these shows also has a a big part of it as well. A lot of people find themselves uh, watching in unconventional ways, not just watching with other people on a screen that's in front of, you know, the fireplace, the the new hearth, but people are watching on handheld screens. People are watching as they, they, uh, you know... Uh, do other chores. There's a there's a class of TV that I at least call laundry shows that I don't even really want yeah. to watch or need to see all the way through. I, I don't need to pay all my attention to them, but uh, they're they're good enough for background noise and a little bit of attention. And so I'll watch them when I'm folding laundry. So, Sonny, you pose at one point a really interesting thought experiment in your piece. Mm. Uh, you ask the reader to uh, consider what older shows mm-hmm. that were not airing when he or she was alive 
he has gone, he or she had gone back and watched. So mm-hmm. I want to ask you that same yeah. question. I mean, what, if we're going to figure out what shows are going to last into the future, it's worth asking what yeah. shows from the past have lasted. What shows have you seen all the way through from beginning to end that aired before you were born? None. I mean, I like I would say the answer to that is probably none. Now there are shows that I that that came out before I was born that I have enjoyed. Uh, in bits and pieces. I mean, you know, if you look at the the Twilight Zone and the Outer Limits, I mean, these are these are, but these are but these are shows that kind of found their footing for me, uh, at least in in syndication and uh, like during New Year's marathons, sure. that sort of thing, right? Sure. Like it's 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 definitely a um uh a sort, and they've also become cultural touchstones. I mean, they are they are you know there are there are episodes of the Twilight Zone uh, that uh, if you if you haven't seen them, you can't quite fully understand. Things like, say, The Simpsons, right? Right? Like, there are definitely there these, and this is one of the this is one of the ways you form a canon, right? Is like, what do other artists pick up on as something to emulate, something to copy, something to pay homage to? Uh, and that is that is, I think, a very important factor to consider when we think about which of these shows uh, is going to last. It's it's not just what is the best, like what is the most entertaining or what is the most binge worthy or whatever. It is, it is how these shows kind of impact the world of television more broadly and how they are, how their, their, their adaptations and, uh, improvements are picked up upon by other artists in the field. So a, a skeptical reader, reading your article mm. ar- and encountering that argument might say, Why? might say something like this, might say, well, okay, sure, shows from the past didn't last, and maybe it's only rare examples like the ones that were in syndication, like I Love Lucy, or the really sp- special, strange mm-hmm. ones like Star Trek, which had unusual circumstance- circumstances, or the Twilight mm-hmm. Zone, again, somewhat unusual. Sure, in the past, that may have been the, the way that only a few have survived, but now we're in a different situation where, A, the quality is better, but also, B, it's a lot easier now, technologically, Mm-hmm. to get a hold of older mm-hmm. shows. You can find them in all sorts of streaming platforms today in the way that you couldn't before. So maybe the best of today's shows will survive in a way that the best of the shows of yesteryear really just couldn't. I think that's totally possible. I mean, look, I, one of the things I talk about in this piece is, you know, one of the reasons I Love Lucy has survived is because mm-hmm. it, it, it was a technological improvement upon the shows that came before it. They filmed in... Uh, they filmed in 35 millimeter. They filmed uh, the shows, and they kept on to the the, the negatives. They they held on to them, and uh, the the there's not a, a degradation that you see on something like a kinescope that some of these other shows used, which is as one uh, as one author put it, kind of like watching a TV show through a fish tank. Yeah. Uh, so like I I do think I, I think that there is definitely more good stuff now than there was in the past. There's more interesting kind of complicated storytelling than there was in the past. And therefore, more things from now will end up being watched at some point in the future. But the 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 simple fact of the matter is, you know, Charlie mentioned he, he wanted to read a book. Uh, yeah. Watching these shows takes a long time. So, like, The Sopranos is generally considered to be the best of these shows, I think. I think that is a fair thing to say, the, the new golden age of TV, The Sopranos. Is the, well, that... Takes you ninety hours to watch. The, the Wire was, or The Wire. The Wire. Uh, like, you know, I mentioned. I, well, I, I, I went in bad. depth. I went in depth on The Wire in this piece. I know. It's yeah. 60, 60 hours long. Now, sixty hours is a long time to sit with any one yeah. uh, piece of art or entertainment. It, it that's just simply put, a long time to spend. You could, uh, you know, you could watch all of Stanley Kubrick's movies. You could watch 
you know the last 25 years of best picture winners you could watch uh you could read uh, i don't know four or five russian masters you could you you could do all sorts of things in that span of time um and i i, I do think that we are uh we should not underestimate just the the simple practical uh, uh limits that that the length of these shows puts on their ability to be consumed by mass audiences going forward. Now, maybe they so, don't so, need so, to so, be. Son, now, you seem to think that we've really lost something fundamental by not having the shared experience because, of course, you know, we, we don't get up the next morning and, you know, go to the water cooler and talk about the, the same shows. Um, and this this new culture of streaming. By the way, is, is that, do you really date that to, I mean, uh, the binging? Did, did you date that back to, what, about 2013 when, when House of Cards yeah, started doing uh, it. I mean, the, when the whole season goes out at once, and you right. don't even have to wait week to week. Yeah, I mean that that's the- that's a big change. That's a big change. Uh, and you know, Netflix had kind of uh, Netflix. Remember, started as a DVD by mail company and had kind of developed this uh, format where you know people would. Uh, people would get have three DVDs out at one time, and they would get three epi- three discs from a series. And as soon as they finished one, they would get the next one. And so it, that was kind of like a pre uh, prehistoric version of binging, right? That's like you know trying to get everything everything uh, in as quickly as possible. But but I do think that releasing everything at once and giving uh, giving people you know just so much stuff to watch all at the same time uh, creates creates it, it just changes the viewing experience it just changes how we watch TV and how, how does it how does it do that well because I because a it creates a world in which you feel like you have to rush to keep up with everyone else so it, there's almost a competitive angle to it like yeah. you are you are you know sitting down and like all right we got to get through six episodes this weekend we're gonna watch Netflix for six hours and we do this so we can talk about it so we can read the internet recaps so we can uh watch uh so we can so we can uh you know feel like we're up to date on what the the twitter conversations and the facebook conversations are and i think that that is i think that is not good for that is like a a a not i don't want to say it's an inferior inferior way to experience art but it is certainly not a superior way to experience art i think it is like it is a way that is uh that that makes that reduces art to content, to hashtag content, uh, just to be consumed. Which isn't to say that the older model in which you'd wait a week for an episode and then wait three months over a summer break for the, you know, the next season to start, which isn't to say that was ideal either for consuming TV as art. Well, not necessarily, but I do think that there is something to be said for having, so for example, Game of Thrones, you know, a show like Game of Thrones or Westworld, where you watch the program and then you kind of absorb it, then you get on the internet you're like, hey, what, oh my God! Can you believe these things that happen? You know, what does this mean? What does that mean? That it's it's it is a different way of experiencing art than say, uh, you know, discussing seeing Andy Sibowitz's butt at the water cooler. Uh, you know, when the the new episode of NYPD Blue came out, or you know, talking about uh, uh, you know what happened to Tony Soprano at the end of the series finale of of The Sopranos. Um, but I do think that there is I, I I do think that you know when you when you create this kind of multi tiered conversation and you kind of force everyone to get stuff down as quickly as possible it just it creates a it creates a uh, a world that is not conducive to thinking interestingly about yeah. art. Well. And, and, and now the, the, there's a foreplay to every conversation, which is, okay, um, before we talk about this, how far are you along in, in Game of Thrones? Or how far right. are you along in Veep or, 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 or Breaking Bad? Because you don't want to get involved in the conversation if your friend is two or three episodes ahead of you. And so there is a little bit of a, of a, of a disconnect there. 
The Daily Standard Podcast is brought to you by Dollar Shave Club. Now, when I say Dollar Shave Club, if the first thing that pops into your head is an amazing affordable shave, then I'm about to blow your mind. Because Dollar Shave Club is more than just razors. It's way better than shopping in a store. And I think I've mentioned before how much I hate actually shopping in stores. Dollar Shave Club delivers to you everything you need to look, smell, and feel your best. Shampoo, body wash, toothpaste, and of course the best razors that I've ever used. I get an amazing high-quality shave every morning from my Dollar Shave Club executive razor. But the true hero of my morning routine is the Dr. Carver's Shave Butter. It helps the razor glide gently across your skin. You have to experience it, and it's way better than the shaving cream that I've been using for the last couple of years. Another must-have experience is how Dollar Shave Club delivers everything to you. That means no more trips to the store, wandering the aisles, hunting for razors, shampoo, toothpaste, then having to pay at the cashier, scanning, bagging your own stuff, you know, being asked, do you have a, you know, a special, you know, frequent number or whatever, and going, no, 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 no. So for a mind-blowing experience, Join Dollar Shave Club today. For just $5, that's $5 with free shipping, you'll get the six-blade executive razor plus trial sizes of shave butter, body cleanser, and one-wipe Charlie's. Then keep the blades coming for a few bucks more a month. Get yours at dollarshaveclub.com slash weeklystandard. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash weeklystandard. Um, so in, you, you also mentioned that, that you think that the, the new golden age of television is over. Is that just simply because they're you know, just, just too much? I mean, you, you still have, I still think we're having the best TV ever. Of course, we don't have the Sopranos. We don't have the wire, but you, but you are, you argue that the new golden age uh, ended at some point. Yeah. I mean, I would say that nothing that is on the air currently is as good as say Breaking Bad or, <laughs> The mm-hmm. Sopranos or The Wire or Deadwood, which is probably mm-hmm. my, my personal favorite of all these shows. Uh, one could make the case that Better Call Saul is as good as, if not better, than Breaking Bad. I mean, I would agree with. I would one, agree with that. One could make a lot of cases, Adam, <laughs> but I would I would disagree with that. I mean, but, but we'll see how it right. goes. We'll see how it goes. I don't know. But but I just want to hang a lantern on what you've just said, though, Sonny, because your argument in the piece about the formation of a canon and whether a, a canon of great TV is possible is a, a practical argument. It's not an argument about the quality of the art. It's not an argument uh, that holds one way or another whether uh, there, there's superb and ser- seriously you know, ambitious, mm-hmm. artistically ambitious, morally serious uh, television being made. It's an argument about whether or not practically it's going to last. Yes. Yeah, I mean, this is, I think that's a very, uh, thank you. Thank you for describing my, my piece so so well, better than I could. Uh, but I think that is, I think that is uh, a very key point here is that it's, I, it, I, I do believe that TV can be art. I do believe that TV can be great art. I think it is a form of storytelling that is no different than uh, cinema and no different than novels in ways that are very interesting, kind of combines the best and worst aspects of both. Uh, and uh, I, 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 I love TV. Like this is not a this this piece is not a a, a, a you know I'm here to bury TV uh, because there's too much of it. I love TV, but because there is so much of it, because there is such a fractured uh, world in which we are viewing all of these things, it is hard to envision a future in which. Uh, there is a you know a a society where we are going to be like okay well to be a well-rounded member of our tribe you have to have seen 90 hours of the sopranos and 60 hours of the wire and you know uh, 50 hours of breaking bad and 
3000 hours of the Simpsons. You know, I like I just I I don't I I just I I find that hard to envision. Now maybe this is a me problem. But once we're all in the cloud, once our brains have all been uploaded and we yeah. can absorb it all instantly. One you know? one reader responding to your piece on Twitter made the point, well, he's he's talking about all of these shows only from the point of view of a completist, which is to say maybe you don't need to see all 3000 hours mm. or however many it has been of uh, of the Simpsons, maybe you just watch, you know, mm. uh, enough to get a taste of it. But but that doesn't seem like it would work for all of these shows. I think that well, so this is this is an argument and I, I don't think he quite made this point, but this is an argument for the permanence of the sitcom mm. as opposed to the the permanence of, say, The Sopranos or The Wire, which is, I think, a show that you have to consume in toto to to fully appreciate and understand. But I do think that this is this is something. There is something to be said about that for uh, The Simpsons, or maybe like Cheers, or, or Seinfeld, or, or Mash, anyway. or like there, mm-hmm. there you you don't actually have to watch all of The Simpsons. You don't you don't actually. Now, the the more interesting question about The Simpsons, to my mind, is once you kind of take away the business model that allowed the Simpsons to become the dominant force in uh, popular culture for 10 years or so, once you take away syndication and once you, once you kind of strip it out of its momentary context, um, is it anything other than the American history museum of TV, you know, kind of collecting all of our various uh, um, uh, references and, and, and movie, you know, quotes and all that and into one place or is it something that is funny and enduring on its own again these are the, I mean the real problem with talking about canon formation is you have no idea what's going to be in the canon until a hundred years after the art uh, in question has has been unveiled I like it just it's this is all kind of a, a mental exercise until you know somebody 200 years from now reads this piece and is like this guy's an idiot Tony Soprano is the great figure of the cultural uh, you know West for the last hundred uh, millennia so I, I you know, who's to say and as you say in the piece who knows even if TV you know watching in the way that we're, we're talking about even on any kind of screen right. is what the future is going to hold who knows TV is TV for as dominant uh, a force as it is in our life TV is an incredibly young medium and there's no yeah. there's no reason to believe it will continue to be the dominant one yeah, yeah well, I mean, wait artificial intelligence allows us to create our own televisions you know out, off of our facebook feed interests uh, um now one of the things you, you i'm i'm slightly obsessed with this question is the relationship between the you know outstanding uh, bingeable watching television and movies i will admit um, that that I often find myself watching a movie and being disappointed because it doesn't have the depth. It doesn't have the uh, the the I, you know the 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 scope that I've become accustomed to watching a really outstanding series. And you actually have a really great uh, quote um, about the difference between television and in movies. You know, the movie, no matter how perfect, is a compact, finite experience that begins and ends over the course of the same evening. Watch it again and again, and you may notice something new each time, but the story itself will not change, nor will the character arcs. Even the greatest of films is a one-night stand where a TV series is a relationship between the creators and the characters, and then between the characters and the audience that can last years. But uh, you 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 have a comment on that? Yeah, you're, you're not you're not totally buying that. Well, so that that quote is from Alan Sepinwall, who is uh, one of the great TV critics of this era, uh, in whose book The Revolution was televised. Everyone should check out if you're into the the kind of current moment. I think it's I think that this is a fair way to think about TV in the moment. I think that this is a fair way to think about a show like Breaking Bad. This comes at the conclusion of his Breaking Bad book, where you're growing with these characters and you're experiencing their lives and you're 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 kind of moving along with them. But 
uh, that show is over now, and I don't think that anybody who is watching it, who starts watching it now, who starts, you know, instead of watching it over the course of five years, watches it over the course of two weeks, uh, can experience that same kind of relationship. You know, there, there, there's something to be said for the episode break as a, a, a limitation uh, and standard of the medium because it, it gives you time in between and it lets you kind of wonder about what's happening to these people. It mm-hmm. gives you that, it creates that relationship for you. Anybody who watches Breaking Bad now will never experience that. They just won't unless they create some sort of you know rule in their head where like, I'm gonna watch one episode a week. I'm gonna do this like, and I'm gonna take a year break in between, you know, and let these characters kind of you grow see, I, I and didn't live watch in their that mind. Way the first time, basically, my my philosophy has always been wait until it's over and then and then binge watch it. So I, I you're you're saying that I have really deprived myself of a key valuable part of the experience because I never gave myself you know a bad that break between between episodes. Well, I so let me ask. No, did you, I, did I, you, I get the point. No, did you did you but did you watch uh did you watch all the episodes at once once it was all done or did you watch like ten episodes after the season breaks? Um, you know, like I think time. I got started after like season three, so you I, very, I, I, bl- I blurred the seasons together. Well, you're 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 very much in the norm, though. You know, this is a very interesting thing about Breaking Bad, and this is it. one of the this is one of the fascinating things about Netflix and the way it has kind of changed the business model of TV is that Breaking Bad didn't become really a like on the cultural radar until the third season or so. Uh, and if you look at the ratings numbers, it went from about in the first season, one million to about one to two million in the second season, uh, and then two to three in the third, and then in the fourth season it explodes to about five million. And by the end of the show, it's ten million people are watching the the series finale. And the people, uh, the reason there was that big explosion was because people caught up on Netflix, because people people were able to watch, uh, you know, this the show that everyone was talking about. They watched it all at once, uh, and then they started watching it live and in real time. Um, uh, now, not to denigrate your viewing experience, but I do think that there is something to be said for watching it in real time and that, those last, you know, eight or ten episodes or whatever that half season was, uh, uh, and kind of experiencing the 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 fall of uh, of Jesse and Walt as the the show yeah. comes to its conclusion. And, and to give you a sense of how we're at a kind of in between moment uh, in terms of the medium and technology. Uh, you know, the same sort of thing happened with The Walking Dead. The first few seasons didn't have a huge viewership, but then after it went on and went on Netflix, after people were able to binge and catch up, it, it got, it exploded. It, yeah. it became enormously popular. But now it's tapering off, as you describe in the piece. And part of the reason it seems to be tapering off is just the quality has tapered off enormously. The storyline is, the storylines yeah. have become mm-hmm. kind of terrible. And that's in the style of American television, which just kind of goes on yeah. and on and on when it's commercially feasible. It will yeah. go on until it's, you know, dead. Unlike uh, Breaking Bad, which had kind of an end point mm-hmm. in mind, uh, and so we're kind of at this moment yeah. where you can suffer from uh, the strengths and weaknesses of both models of television. Yeah. So, what Adam, are, what what are you binging on right now? What are you watching? What series are you into? Well, uh, having a small child makes it a little harder to to binge watch. Uh, so I'm catching up on a lot of things right now, uh, and, and I'm actually finding myself. Uh, doing uh, what Sonny kind of argues in the piece one ought to do in a way, which is I'm watching a lot of movies. I'm catching up on movies Hmm. and uh, the ones that are streaming. And I've got to tell you, after I I finish one of these movies, I then go and read Sonny's review of it from sometimes a year or two ago. And I say, man, I shouldn't have have watched that movie. I should have just read (laughs) Sonny's review in advance on the Free Beacon website. 
but uh, yeah, that's that's where I am right now. And, and Sonny, uh, what are you what are you watching? Uh, you know, we my wife and I just finished the marvelous Miss Mrs. Maisel. I, uh, I watched that; that was outstanding. We we quite liked. Uh, I know our the Weekly Standards movie reviewer John Potthorts really he loved it. it. He loved it. Loved yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, I liked it. I I thought it was kind of like woke Mad Men. Which, mm-hmm. uh, which, like it, it, that is that has its pluses and minuses. Uh, but, but like most of these shows, frankly, it could have been about half as long. I, I find that all of these these TV shows really could use some trimming uh, to to not even and not even just in terms of like pure episode numbers. There's this weird hesitance to get away from the thirty minute sitcom one hour right. drama idea of how these shows should work and i you know there uh, there's no reason in a streaming universe that you can't have a seven episode series that is 20 minutes one week and 40 minutes the next a I few mean, shows it, on netflix have tried a few that, a yeah. few have tried and and it's weird because people don't like it and i we are trained as viewers to be like okay look i'm gonna carve out 30 minutes here i'm gonna watch this episode uh and in it, it, it's funny. I, ju- I just kind of thought of it this way, but it's kind of like sometimes when I'm reading a book and I will get to a chapter and I'm like, well, I've only got, I only want to stay awake for another 15 minutes. And I'm like, right. oh God, there's 40 pages in this chapter. I'm just going to go to bed now. You know, like I, I, so I can kind of understand that, that, that hesitance, but I do think that there, that there are interesting things that could be done in monkeying with the various standards that we have kind of come to accept that most shows are not really interested or comfortable with with doing okay if either of you guys watch sneaky pete at all which is a brian cranston um no production. i want to it's on my watch list Same here, yeah. uh, see, season two seems to be uh, ratcheted up from season one um i'm also um trying to get back into homeland i was a little bit um off uh season six of of all of that so you know i'm, I'm waiting to get it a, a far enough ahead on homeland that i can watch you know through two or three um ep- episodes at a time um and I just finished watching Veep, but I'm, oh. I'm kind of I kind of got bored with that too. So well, Veep, I'm looking I'm looking for something else. You know, it's funny. I one of the things I had kind of wanted to mention in this piece, and I I ended up taking out because it was already too long. It was a tangent. Uh, but the but there's, what, a, there's it, a sequel piece yeah. in the works. <laughs> but but the <laughs> the the idea of the difference between miniseries TV shows and ongoing concerns so like band of brothers i think is a show that could end up very easily surpassing everything else just because it is a finite encapsulated Mm -hmm. experience that had a start point and an end point and they had you know they wanted to do this and that's different from say the sopranos or veep which kind of end up rutting or you know spinning their wheels in ruts like Mm -hmm. they they Mm -hmm. uh they they end up kind of getting getting stuck in their their own their own tracks and i i do think that there's something to be said for the medium of television in general and the kind of episodic uh ongoing tv show that diminishes its capacity to be great art and maybe that's maybe that's a case uh, for future glory for shows that have been canceled and therefore were brief like firefly you know had what 13 episodes oh, yeah. so one season maybe maybe that's uh, part yeah. of the reason that in some ways it seems to linger because it's uh, something that's edible you, you can yeah. actually make your way through that yeah. canceled show or deadwood or rome yeah, right, another right, show yeah. I, I i really love yeah yeah, I wish there was a season three of uh, Rome. Uh, Adam Kuyper, Sonny Bunch, thanks so much for joining me on the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. This is the cover story. If you want to uh, dive deeper into this, uh, Sonny's uh, cover story in the Weekly Standard uh, addresses all of these issues with sort of the ultimate deep dive into the culture of television, binge watching, and what 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 are we going to be watching 200 years from now? Probably we won't be watching anything.